So today, uh, for those who haven't been uh, following us over these last few weeks, uh, we've been looking at Nehemiah. And um, we uh, did the first three chapters way back in, um, I think it was October time last year. And uh, we've uh, been finishing the book of Nehemiah. And this is week six to help us finish it off. So if you've been tracking with us, thank you. If you've been following every week, thank you again. If you haven't, why not? But, um, but anyway, you can catch up, of course, because you all know on YouTube, uh, everything is still there. So if the book of Nehemiah does intrigue you a little bit and you want to dig in a little bit to uh, some of it, then uh, as a sort of starting point, some of the previous weeks may be helpful to you. Now, when I set the, set the um, series, I, I sort of hadn't fully realized the juxtaposition of Nehemiah ending and, and it being Pentecost Sunday as well. So I've tried my best, if you like, to, uh, to wedge the two together. Now, it might be total heresy. I've no idea. You'll be the judge of that at some point. But um, I wanted to, to see how, how we could get this idea of Nehemiah's story going from the rubble of the walls to a place of revival uh, towards the end of it. And that sense of, but they were still waiting for something. The book of Nehemiah isn't the end of the story. And as we'll see, as we look at Nehemiah, uh, part part of chapter 12 and into 13 to the end, we'll see that the end of Nehemiah 13 is not the end of the story. Absolutely far from it. And I want us to think about that a little bit today as to what is the end of the story? What is it that Nehemiah's story is pointing us towards? And I hope that through this, I'll be able to just touch on Act 2 as well and a little bit extra from there. And I hope you'll hang in there with me um, as I do that. And um, I'm going straight off afterwards in case everything's wrong and uh, you haven't got a chance to catch up with me. That's absolutely fine. So here's here's a question for you this morning. What is your favorite day of celebration? What's your favorite day to celebrate during a year? Okay, so maybe it's New Year's Day, maybe it's Valentine's Day, or Pancake Day, or Mother's Day, or Easter Day, or FA Cup Final Day. I don't know why I wrote that down, but maybe if Stoke ever get there, it will be FA Cup Final Day, or Father's Day, or Christmas Day, or your birthday, or your dog's birthday, or, or your retirement day. Was that a great day of celebration, those of you that have retired? No, you hated it. Oh, dear. Well, the rest of us are looking forward to it, by the way, but uh, there we are. Or or maybe an anniversary, maybe. Is that a good day to celebrate? Anybody got an anniversary today? Oh, Andy and Leslie, you've got an anniversary today. Happy anniversary to you today. Well done. Congratulations. (laughs) And anybody got a birthday today? Leslie, it's Leslie's birthday today. Isn't that amazing? Leslie, happy birthday. Wow. (laughs) Anybody had a birthday this week? Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) And you all forgot, didn't you? Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. Never mind. I've got last year's cards out, so it's okay. It's fine. Or maybe any day is a celebration day for you. Maybe that you're the sort of person who just celebrates any day. You wake up and you're still breathing and you think, hooray, another day, yeah? I think that's a good, good start to any day, isn't it? To celebrate that you're still alive and any day and every day. And I'm sure many of you have different ways of celebrating as well. Well, we all not need to find reasons to rejoice, don't we? Reasons to rejoice. And in Nehemiah 7, there is a great reason 
for a celebration. A great reason for a celebration. If you've got Nehemiah 12 uh, uh, in your Bibles or switched on on your apps this morning, uh, Nehemiah 12, we're starting at verse 27 this morning. And we'll be digging a little bit in and out of, of these two chapters, but, uh, so keep the Bible open when we've, we've done with these few verses. So Nehemiah 12, 27 to 30. So the wall's finished, okay? 52 days, the wall's finished. Uh, it's been a bit of a hit and miss sort of building project. There's been opposition. There's been good days, been bad days. But Nehemiah has kept the people going. And eventually, the walls are done. The gates are, are hung on. And last week, we looked at how the people had moved back into Jerusalem. And if, if you hear last week, the, the people tithed one in every ten of their, 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 uh, their family to go and live in Jerusalem. So, so everything is set now. Everything is set. So at the dedication, verse 27, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The musicians also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem for the village, from the villages of Netophatitis, from Beth Gilgal, and from the area of Geba and Asmaveth. For the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. What a great idea, isn't it? To get rid of the people who play instruments and let them go outside the city and make a noise somewhere else. Yeah, if you've got a next door neighbor, just tell them to go, go and build a, city, a wall somewhere else. Yeah. Um, when, they, when the priests and Levites had purified themselves, ceremonially they purified the people the gates and the wall I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall I also signed two large choirs to give thanks one was to proceed on top of the wall to the right towards the Dungate Hoshaniah and half the leaders of Judah followed them uh, along with Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, as well as some priests with trumpets, and also Zechariah, son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micah, the son of Zachor, the son of Asaph, and his associates. I may as well carry on now. Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Bilalai, and everybody else alive. Nathaniel, Judah, and Hanani, with musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra, the teacher of the law, led the procession at the fountain gate. They continued directly up the steps of the city of David on the ascent to the wall and passed above the site of David's palace to the water gate on the east. The second, that's enough now. You get the idea. You get the idea. One choir going one way to the dung gate. I'm guessing they were the ones who came second in the competition because they got the dung gate as their reward. And then another choir, verse 30, the second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. So the, the whole place... The whole of Jerusalem was surrounded by singing and music. And what a celebration it was. If you have a look in verse 23, here is the reason for celebration. Uh, Verse 43, sorry, verse 43. Here's the reason to have a celebration. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices because God had given them great joy. Because God. That's a reason for celebration. That's why you can celebrate every day. Because God. You don't need any more reason than that. Verse 43, again. Because God had given them great joy, the women and children also rejoiced. You see, celebration includes everyone. No one's... I think we've got a slide, slide, Doug, if that's okay, yeah. Celebration includes everyone. The priests, the Levites, the musicians, the women, the children, they're all involved with it. Celebration includes everyone. And then verse 43, again, the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. Celebration changes lives. That's a great reason for a celebration, isn't it? 
It comes from God because God. It includes everyone and it changes lives. And I recommend to you those reasons for celebration today. The rules, the walls are rebuilt. The people's hearts are restored. That was what uh, Nehemiah had come to do. The rubble of the city had been turned into the opportunity for revival. The roots of this celebration that now the people had returned to Jerusalem and they were now back in their own city. Why did they need to return? Well, because they had been in exile, hadn't they? And this was their story. That's where we started with this book of Nehemiah, with Nehemiah back in, in, uh, in Babylon, having been part of the, the exile that was taken away at that particular time. And there's a reason for exile as well. If you've got your Bibles and you want to turn back to 2 Chronicles chapter 36 and verse 15. Right at the end of the Chronicles account, we see this in 2 Chronicles 36 verse 15. The Lord, the God of our ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. So this is before the, the, the exile, the Nehemiah exile. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of God was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians who killed their young men with a sword in the sanctuary and did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. That's why the wall was broken. That's the history. That's the reason for the exile. He broke down the walls. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. You see, that's what happened. That's why Nehemiah came back to rebuild the walls. That was why they'd been placed in exile. If you remember in an earlier chapter of Nehemiah, Nehemiah read down the story of the people of Israel, how they become stiff-necked and arrogant, how they'd grumbled and complained, how they turned their back on God, and that was why exile had happened. And after hundreds of years of disobedience, God decided that they should be removed and go into that place of exile. They hadn't followed God's rules. They hadn't followed his commands. They'd been a disobedient people. And it seems like God had given the people a Sabbath rest of 70 years in exile. It seems like for all their disobedience, for all their past story, for all their, 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 their God's frustration with them, God had sort of taken them out of Jerusalem and said, right, we're now going to have a rest. And rest means exile. All those Sabbaths that you've missed, all those Sabbath years that you've missed, we're going to have 70 years now away from this city. It's harsh, isn't it? It's tough. But God wants to bring justice towards his people. Seventy years, which Jeremiah had prophesied anyway. 2 Chronicles 36 again, verse 21. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rests, not just one, but 70 years of it. 70 years where Jerusalem was in ruins. 70 years where nothing was going on in that city. It enjoyed its Sabbath rests. All the time of its desolation, it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. 
See, God had already planned this. God had already found a solution to the problem of people's disobedience. People turning their back on him. And it was the place of exile. It seemed so hard. It seemed so tough. And yet the people had to be renewed and restored until that time of return. Verse 22 of 2 Chronicles 36. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken in Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. This is Cyrus, the king of Persia. See who God uses? The most unlikely people. He has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up and may the Lord their God be with him. And so after the 70 years, God moved the heart of Cyrus to begin to release the people to go back to Jerusalem. And if you remember in earlier sessions we've had, there were three returns. Zerubbabel, who took the royal families back and restored the temple. Then Ezra, who took some Levites back and renewed the religious life of the city. And then Nehemiah, the person we've been looking at, who went back to rebuild the walls until the city had been reestablished and the people had moved back in again. See, there are consequences to disobedience to God. And here, the reminder is throughout Nehemiah that God had not forgotten his people. God had kept on longing for the day when they would return, when they would come back to that place that he had designated for them, when they were a people prepared and ready for what he wanted to do next through them. But the story isn't finished with the walls. If you're reading 2 Chronicles chapter 36 and verse 23 in Hebrew, which I'm guessing most of us don't, there's an incomplete sentence in the original in Hebrew. The sentence doesn't end. It ends in Hebrew with, and let him go up, and that's it. Which fits very nicely in the English language, very complete. But in the original Two Chronicles text, there's an incomplete sentence. It's as if something else is going to happen. It's as if even after the people have returned to Jerusalem, there's another chapter still to be written. Now, part of the understanding of that is that in our Bibles, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. In the Hebrew Scripture, Two Chronicles is the last book of the Old Testament. We get so familiar with the the way that our text is written, it's out of sync with the story. And so here, at the end of the Jewish Scriptures, comes an unfinished sentence. They're still waiting for God to do something more. Jerusalem being restored, being rebuilt, the walls, is not the end of the story. And for us to understand this last section of 2 Chronicles 36, we have to then go to Daniel chapter 9. You you guessed that, didn't you? You guessed that. Now, if you can find Daniel chapter 9, well done to you this morning. Uh, Yeah, it's somewhere, isn't it? There it is. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel, part of the exile story, 
part of the, the story of the people being moved out of Jerusalem in the first place that God had decreed at that time to give the land its Sabbath rests, Daniel now is sat there almost at the end of the 70 years of exile. And he's sitting in Babylon and he's reading the scroll of Jeremiah. The Jeremiah that was mentioned in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, uh, 26. And he's reading the scroll which announced the 70 years of exile. Now from where Daniel sat, 70 years, as I say, was almost at the end. And in his mind, he's thinking, when is Israel going to be restored? When is it going to be? When's God going to do this? And while he's praying, if you read in Daniel chapter 9, an angel appears to Daniel. And what's the name of the angel who appears to Daniel? It's Gabriel. Isn't that weird? So Gabriel appears to him and tells him that Israel's sin, even after 70 years, still hasn't been adequately dealt with. So although the people are going to return to Jerusalem after 70 years, it's not finished. The sin still needs dealing with. So just as the Israelites took centuries to break the covenant and went into exile, there is now going to be another period of time where God is still going to be at work until one day the Messiah will come. And that's the story. That's the story that God is unfolding through Nehemiah. This next step of what he was longing to do for his people. And of course, for 400 years, God went silent. The Old Testament story doesn't contain writings in the 400 years before Jesus came. It was almost like another exile was happening as the nation continued its disobedience, continued to struggle to be the people that God longed for them to be, to be the light to the hills. In fact, to be light to Gentiles was the call of the people. But they still struggled. They couldn't do it on their own. And so the periods of obedience and disobedience, the flipping and flopping, the story that we know from, from the Old Testament, the stiff neck, the grumbling, the hard hearts, that was all continued to be part of the story as God was silent to his people once again. And the people were longing for jubilee. They were longing when everything would be completed. But they longed for it and it never fully came. But we know it came, don't we? We know the next bit of the story, don't we? We know the bit of the story where the angel Gabriel announces to a young girl that she's going to have a baby. And the name of this baby is going to be Jesus. And so this period of time, this period of waiting suddenly comes to an end when Jesus comes to be one with us. The incarnate God who is for us, who revealed his love to us. You see, if you look in Nehemiah 13, you'll see that the problems continued 
the problems of the people's hearts continue time and time again. And Nehemiah is getting a little bit exasperated because even though the walls are rebuilt, the people are still causing problems. In fact, he'd gone, up, gone back to Artaxerxes, if you look in chapter 13, verse 6. While all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. And when he came back, he learned that things were not as they should be. And he says three times in chapter 13, verse 14, Remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. Verse 22, remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. And then right at the very end of Nehemiah 13, he can't think of anything else to say other than remember me with favor, my God. Remember me with favor. I can see him with his head in his hands, can't you? (laughs) Thinking, yeah, we did this. And yet when I look at the people, nothing seems to have changed. Because the people needed a new rescuer. They needed a new deliverer. They needed someone who would ultimately deal with the problem that people have. The text points to something exciting that is going to happen. And with Jesus, it just began. See, we finish Nehemiah knowing that we need a king from the line of David to bring about the true return from exile, the alienation from God, the frustrations of disobedience and feeling powerless to do anything about sin. We end with that feeling. But this new king, he's going to build the new dwelling place for his people and deal with the sin once and for all. It all points towards a saviour. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 5, 39. And maybe some of this sometimes applies to us. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. See, Jesus is saying, you know what, you've read these stories. You've read Chronicles. You've got all this story, all this history, but what you've missed is that all this is about me. This is all about my coming into this world. This is all about the Messiah arriving, the kingdom coming. This is all about the future that God always had planned for his people. 2 Chronicles 36, Daniel chapter 9, Ezra, Nehemiah, they all point to Jesus. Because Jesus knew that he was the fulfillment of that Chronicles story. And what's even more beautiful is that when Jesus read from the scroll of of Isaiah chapter 61, recorded for us in Luke chapter 4 verse 17, he said this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free. And here's here's the, 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 the secret. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee. Finally, after all the frustrations, after all the exiles, after all the building, you're looking for the Jubilee. Well, here it is. I'm here to say that this is the year of the Lord's favor. 
some motto text, isn't it? This is the year of the Lord's favor. He's the one to bring about the new jubilee. Chronicles presented us with the hope of a king from the line of David. And now in Jesus, we see it fulfilled. True freedom from the exile that perhaps some of us still are living in. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. No, this is part of the story. This is all part of our story. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I've come to fulfill them. Nehemiah is just a glimpse of the struggles that the people of Israel went through. But it's also a mirror to our struggles as well. The struggles we still face with what God has called us to do and the people he's called us to be. Nehemiah did everything he could, but he knew that there was still more that needed doing. And so we come to Pentecost. Pentecost, the day when God provided the power for his purpose of continuing to build his people. To restore people's hearts back to him, which is what the whole Nehemiah story was about. It wasn't about one brick on top of another. It was about restoring hearts. And finally here, on this day of Pentecost, here is what God was going to bring so that his people might become the light in the world, finally. Pentecost, a day that the Jews would celebrate the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, a day when the whole of Jerusalem was filled inside the walls. There would have been much singing and rejoicing, maybe even choirs marching around just as they did in Nehemiah's day. But on this day, 50 days after Passover, 50 days after Jesus had died on that cross, This day was the day when the power of God was released upon his people so they could finally become the people he knew they could be. Must have been a great day, mustn't it? A great day of celebration when the provision arrived and the power was received. The true celebration. Acts chapter 2. Here's the true celebration. I'll find it in a minute. True celebration, it comes from God. Acts chapter 2, verse 2. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. It comes from God. True celebration comes from God. It includes everyone. Verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled. It changes lives. Verse 5, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, all gathered in Jerusalem. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. That's the true celebration. It comes from God. It includes everyone and it changes lives. And it can change our lives today as well. See, once the fire got inside them, that's when they unlocked the door and they went out and spoke the word of God boldly to all who were there. The restoring of lives, the renewing of commitments so that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord 
may be saved. In fact, will be saved. Will be saved. So this morning, there's no need to stay in exile. There's no need to stay away from God. There's no need to stay in that place that is frustrating and confusing. There's no need to stay in that place where sin still tangles you up. There's no need to stay in that place where perhaps we become hard-hearted or stiff-necked or grumbling or complaining. Perhaps all of that. There's no need to stay in that place in exile because the Holy Spirit has been given so that we might receive and be the people that God has longed for us to be. And then the sound of rejoicing. It gets heard far away as we celebrate who God is and all that he still has to do in our day as well. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the many opportunities we have to celebrate. And again, here today, we celebrate who you are and your goodness and love towards us. I pray that you would draw us back to yourself to be the people you've called us to be, the people who are in a place to receive your spirit, to continue to write this story, to continue to declare your praises so that the sound of singing can be heard far away. We thank you for the faithfulness of your people and we stand on their shoulders today ready to continue to be the light in this community the light in our families and the light in our workplaces, a demonstration of your love for us so that many others will come to know you and experience that same love in their hearts. Draw us back to yourself today, I pray, as we commit ourselves to your cause. Thank you, Jesus.